What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and all the places you need your music to be. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in-store 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor fastest payouts they help out with automatic splits cover song clearance and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases i dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians bands studio artists DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home, and they also offer label services as well. They've got three different tiers to offer creators that start as low as $22.99 a year. That's just $1.92 per month, and even their top tier breaks down to only $7.50 per month. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper for you check out the link in the episode notes i also put it in my instagram bio in the link tree click that link and it'll give you 30 percent off your first year of service super stoked to have distro kids sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their longtime support of this thing let's start the episode what is happening everybody welcome back to another episode of the dan cable presents podcast thank you for tuning into the program once again if this is your first time listening thanks for checking out the show you can find fresh episodes coming at you every tuesday and if you want to help support this thing in a free way you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so, and that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, giving it more visibility on the national and international levels, and just a great way to help strangers find this thing, boosting the signal. If you're not listening on Apple, just hit like, follow, subscribe wherever you are listening from, give it five stars on Spotify, check out the monthly playlists that I've been dropping every first of the month. Those are available on Apple Music and Spotify, and the link's for those are in the episode notes very stoked to share this week's episode with portland oregon based singer songwriter multi-instrumentalist and overall just kind human sam mendoza is on the show i've been wanting to have sam on the podcast for a really long time so i'm happy that we finally made it happen and i really enjoyed the conversation that we had he's just a sweetheart of a dude and one of my favorite musicians in the city kind of uh kind of an undeniable combination of uh of talent and uh just overall good dude so i've gotten to see him play a lot of music in this last year or so and he's just a monster of a guitar player and always has the sweetest guitar tones but he's also just a great songwriter as well and i really appreciate his take on things and his lyrical delivery so we're gonna dive into a bunch of that in this conversation he's a 
a part of this circle of musicians that has made their way up to Portland from the University of Oregon and Eugene, some of them originally from the Portland area and some of them not. And over the last couple of years, I'd say really kind of post pandemic, they have really put their mark on this city's music scene and are all just making really great music. If you listen regularly to this podcast, past guests that fall into that circle are Spinach, AKA Smythe, who's done the show a couple times, Yuck God, something something brax julia logue who was on the show last year so if you dig this one and you're new to the show i'd say any of those are great uh starting points to dive into the catalog but like i said i'm stoked sam and i were able to connect for this one he just put out a brand new ep called my friend is here it's a beautiful collection of tunes and we will feature a bunch of those tracks throughout this episode along with some other tracks from Sam's catalog but I gotta kick the episode off with one of my favorite tracks from Sam Mendoza called Lifeboat. I've taken every opportunity I can to play this song on the podcast in the past. It's uh, I don't know it's just one that sticks out to me that has just come out of the Portland music scene and um, I just show it love whenever I can so you may have heard this before. Big thanks to Sam for doing the thing. All the links to keep up with him will be in the episode notes as well. Also, Matt Larimer gets mentioned in this episode. Shout out Matt, another sweetheart of the music scene. Uh, Check out his episode of the podcast. He also worked on this track with Sam. So this is episode 381 with Sam Mendoza, and this is his track, Lifeboat. Let's do the damn thing. excited we're doing it now like after we've had the opportunity to get to know each other a little bit like running into each other at music venues and, and shows and whatnot yeah absolutely um, i feel like i've gotten to see you play so much music um maybe in the last year or so with like various bands and you're, mm-hmm. yeah you're just like one of my favorite people to see play music oh yeah you, yeah thank you i just love what you do in all the projects that you're involved in i feel like you're, you're just so good at 
at serving songs, but also, you know, shredding when you have the opportunity to, and just like, I always feel like it's very, very tasteful what you're doing, Sam. So I'm excited for this. Um, can I tell you about the first time I saw you play music? Absolutely. I don't know if I've, I've told you this before, but, um, I guess it must've been 2017 or so. Well, you were playing in Spiller. Yep. And you, uh, you played this show at the, at, at that point, it was this place called the TARDIS room. It's like Wild. Dr. Who bar. Yeah. The fish and in, chip spot. Yeah, yeah. The fish and chip spot. And I was there that night to see my friends in, in, uh, the co-founder and you played with that band and this band, Kevin Nichols that night. Yep. And I didn't know who Spiller was, but, um, yeah, I bought a shirt that night. I was, I was into it. Like, I just remember you, you all played like a killer set. And then I didn't, I didn't really like know your association with that band. Cause I didn't, I didn't know you or anybody in that crew. Yeah. Yet. But I remember, um, my friend Tyler Robeson mm-hmm. telling me about your music yeah. and Shout they were like, Tyler. they were like, Oh yeah. Same, same was from Spiller. And I was like, Oh, okay. And <laughs> plug those things together. So that was the first time I saw you yeah. play music. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, kind of like being based in Eugene at the time, but coming up to play shows in Portland often and kind of through the West coast, the I five pipeline, I like to call it. Um, and just hitting it often before actually moving up here in 2020 of all times to move up. And then, um, yeah, kind of like this, this hard reset of sorts of like, okay, us making this move as like as bandmates and as friends and kind of seeing the people, that were either already from Portland kind of moved back home from yeah. Eugene and the scene or kind of were from Eugene and like, we're like, we need to get to this city and this scene to like continue growing and continue expanding and stuff. And yeah, it, it feels so long ago. I've been seeing people post like, they're like post your picture from 2017 or bad luck. And <laughs> the moment I even traverse that territory, I'm like, wow, different, different times. Yeah. More hair on my head and more <laughs> just, uh, yeah. And you ended up going up to Eugene for, for college. Yeah. Yeah. Went and, uh, majored in jazz studies, Okay, did a, did a guitar path there and then uh, a minor in Spanish as well. Yeah. I just love this, uh, this crew of all the university of Oregon kids that have ended up in Portland. I feel like y'all are just like making some of the best music coming out of this city seems to, uh, revolve around this circle of musicians that you surround yourself with for sure. Yeah. It's a beautiful community. It's really, yeah, I feel lucky that it's even, even a fraction of it has had a chance to kind of reconnect and regroup and continue making music in different capacities. Yeah. Um, whether it's that original project from Eugene or, or if it's like reshuffled in a way or, or, or there's new projects, but with rotating members, it's, it's fun. Yeah, for sure. And then more recently at this junior bloomer show that you played in August, I got to meet your dad, Yeah, which I I thought was, it's so cool getting to meet people's parents. Like I hope, I I feel like it always like helps put things in perspective or just like getting to see the family ties and he didn't spoil too much, Sam, but, um, he kind of told me about, he and these other parents early on in your life starting this music program, maybe Absolutely. because there wasn't one like the the public school one or whatever yeah. got, got yeah. taken away and, and he was a part of the 
the parents that kind of got together to make sure Absolutely. that you had some sort of music program. So yeah. take me, take me back early days. What do you remember about playing music early on or getting exposed to music or, or just even, you know, those early days of that, that music school being formed? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess a personal music trajectory is kind of starting just tinkering on a keyboard, just learning songs by ear and then kind of getting into formal piano lessons around like age nine, age 10 or so. And trying saxophone at the time because I saw, you know, my dad was doing that in salsa bands and kind of doing like almost these like, I don't want to call them the, the like, there would be these like kind of Catholic like procession sort of events and he would do like the marching band for okay. that. And All so right. I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. And then saxophone kind of was like, I don't know. I was, I was a picky kid. I was very sensitive to like touch and taste and sound and I still am, but less so, but um I don't know, saxophone, just like the reeds and like the spit. It was all just really gross to me. And it's like, <laughs> I'll stick with piano. And then through that group that um, he mentioned to you, the Estudiantina is what it was called. So, so shout out River Glen, K through eight, um, very small, very tight knit family vibes at this school, very focused on uh, bilingual education and like Spanish. So, um, and small public school vibes. Along with that, you know, there's no lockers for the middle schoolers. There's no like official sports. It's like a lot of these things were facilitated by like the after school programs. And so then my pops and a couple of other parents um, in the school, a couple times a week, I want to say like twice a week, we would gather before class, you know, before school started, just get up early and go and like learn Spanish folk songs and that was my intro to like my first couple chords on guitar and yeah. like a couple deep, you know, musical friendships at an early age for sure. Yeah. And what it was like to play in a group and ensemble. And music was just around you then from being a kid with your dad playing in bands. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Instruments so. were just around the house kind of, kind of vibe or. Yeah. Yeah. The keyboard in my room and kind of whenever my dad was playing and sometimes I would tag along to some of those like salsa band rehearsals and exposed to it in that way but yeah. yeah didn't like take it too seriously until like maybe a year or two into guitar and getting like an electric guitar and that sort of thing yeah that seemed to speak to you a lot differently when you picked up the the guitar like something you, you were just found yourself gravitating towards all the time kind of vibe I, I think so yeah yeah and seeing it as this like vessel for um kind of more expression and I, I, just the cool factor if i'm being like superficially yeah. honest like it's just like it's just like some rocker shit you know yeah. it's like it's just, it's just cool it's a cool instrument and yeah when you were playing early on did you uh start songwriting pretty quickly or were you more into just like learning covers or learning kind of how to shred on it yeah i mean you know very much that like learn learn beatles songs um I think, I, I don't know what I was listening to at the time. I mean, there was like, you know, like the, the Blink and like My Chemical Romance, like kind of like early, like being exposed to like, yeah, classic rock through like, you know, going to rock camps or like the guitar instructors at the time, you know, the, the things they would hit you to, but then like being an early teenager and like getting into the angsty stuff too. So like all these mixes and like just, yeah, really excited to like learn how to read tabs and navigate learning songs on my own outside of those situations and stuff. So yeah. Yeah. Songwriting didn't really take off until like high school more or less, but I think I always wanted to navigate those early on in the context of like, I got more excited to write collaboratively and like write in the context of a band. Like I would have my own songs, but a solo project didn't really manifest until like 
as of like the last few years or yeah. so. You're more like just playing in other people's bands or not being that like a songwriter necessarily in yeah, the things yeah. that you're playing in. I mean, yeah, like I'm trying to think like in high school, it was a band called Cactus and it was like, I would bring songs that were very much like premeditated and like very much made at home, bring to the band type thing. But that was very much a jam, like power trio sort of situation. And we would get very jazzy, very like kind of just like gross primacy kind of stuff. <laughs> and like, it was just a really fun vessel for early angst and like expression and just mixing jazz and punk and like all these things that like made us excited all together. Yeah. So yeah. It was always pretty wide from what you were listening to though. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it was a weird mix of, yeah, like a, like a bassist that loved everything Woodstock to the drummer being into everything like metal punk and like Deftones. And then me who I was just like, I like Arctic monkeys and incubus. Like, let's, yeah. <laughs> let's see what happens if we, if we hang out together and stuff. So yeah. How important do you feel like you, it's been to have like so your dad like so supportive of the music and encouraging to to play it's it's very helpful i think for many years it's like oh there's embarrassing dad with the video camera <laughs> and now it's like hey i i really could use a videographer <laughs> he just I'm seemed, glad yeah. he's <laughs> he just seems so genuinely stoked about seeing you play music yeah you know? very much so i feel very lucky in that way yeah yeah. feel very supported as far as the songwriting you know getting deeper into it into high school like how did it progress as you uh you moved up to Oregon for for college yeah when kind of Spiller formed it was like this it was the the Spiller dorm that we all lived in and it was a mix of music majors and it was a mix of like music enthusiasts and they had this program like they're called figs, freshman interest groups. So you would have your major or whatever, but then you would be part of a fig that could be a dorm situation or not. I, I, I don't quite remember exactly, but basically it was the music school kids and what was like the hip hop and history fig. So that's how I met Smythe. He was on the fourth floor. I was okay. on the second floor. And yeah, right off the bat, like, I, I don't know. I just, I didn't have any expectations kind of going up to Oregon from, from San Jose. I was kind of just like, I was honestly like, nervous and mortified but then there was this like gathering that happened before we all settled in and it was like oh god these people are, are sick this is going to be great and right as we were moving in we were already like making music together and so that was really exciting and then um yeah soon you know the the, the spiller folks we were, we were we're making songs and getting ready to like you know book house shows and that sort of thing like yeah. hearing kind of the going ons in the in the town and stuff so but as far as songwriting goes, yeah, that was very much still collaborative, but kind of this thing where like skeletons were brought and then they would be fleshed out as a band yeah. more so. And yeah, very much gravitating more towards what I was listening to early on, like later on in high school, which was a lot of like Midwest emo and kind of math rock stuff. And then fusing that with a bunch of other influences in the band and like the Prague and yeah. Grateful Dead and jazz and all these, this is a smorgasbord of fun stuff. For yeah. Sure. Was that the first time then when you went up to Eugene, the first time that you were just like constantly around super creative people and musicians of like all genres kind of surrounding you all the time? Absolutely. Yeah. 
you'd have people shedding trash, cl- uh, classical trumpet three doors down. Then <laughs> I, I lived next to a dubstep producer. Like the speakers were literally like up against the wall on yeah. my bed. And so I'd hear that I'd hear yeah, all sorts of stuff. So yeah, big melting pot, a little different environment than the San Jose neighborhoods that you, you grew up yeah, in hundred percent. Very much. So I, I feel really lucky to have attended a kind of a performing arts high school and, um, be exposed in that way as well. But, um, yeah, the sheer like density of that dorm complex at U of O was, was wild. So what was it like balancing like actual schoolwork as far as music versus all of the stuff that you were just like doing maybe creatively with, with your, you know, your dorm mates or just like the, the spiller crew? Yeah, I think, I think a balance was achieved and if it teetered, it would find a way back eventually. But I think, um, there was a lot of focus on like booking shows and tours. And like, I think that I don't want to say it like hindered, uh, but, but it it helped me like, like prioritize what, like what was really exciting to me at the time. And like, I think with, within school, what was really exciting was like learning how to, um, yeah, like be, just become a better, more skilled musician. But I, I feel like I was learning just as much from like my peers and like the scene at large than I was like my professors or like yeah. the classes and the stuff I was in. I, I just I just was taken in a lot from yeah. everywhere. So school was not the end all be all for like my musicianship and for sure learning things like etiquette and booking shows and payout and like, you know, all these things that like are real world kind of things. Yeah, So Absolutely. Did it ever get to the point where, uh, I don't know, like learning some of the, the theory or just the educational stuff that where it felt, uh, like it was sucking the life out of like what you were doing at all. Like did it ever like get to the, I feel like, you know, people have their different experiences with going to school for music and sometimes it like breaks them in certain ways or like breaks their spirit. Did it always, uh, feel pretty good to you? Yeah. There was times where I like, I, 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 maybe doubted my choice. Maybe I would hit like that midpoint, I think like, like second or third year where I was like, Oh, did I, did I make the right choice? And like, I was kind of like hesitant, but, um, I think I didn't, I I don't think I bit off more than I could chew in that regards. Um, and I think I, I got like what I, what I wanted and needed very much. So like out of that education and yeah, it didn't feel like the end all be all. And I think the more I've been out of school, the more I've been like, oh, I don't have to just be a jazz musician. Like yeah. I've been been sitting in with bands of all genres and like leaning into music teaching and like all these other avenues that aren't just like you need to be a gigging musician and that's your mode of living. And that's where it maybe the pressure and maybe the negative feelings come up is like kind of this feeling of like, what is the other side look like and not actually getting there. And once you get there, you're like, oh, shit, like I'm fine. Like it's all good. Like, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's just like such a different path than going to school for like finance or something. It's like, Oh, I went to school for finance and now I get a job in like, exactly hundred <laughs> percent. And so many like amazing creatives and like, honestly, like working artists, like have a side hustle or they, or they work a full-time job. Um, one of my f- recent favorite artists, uh, Hayden Pettigo, this guitarist from Amarillo, Texas, like is very like transparent recently about like his like whole journey of like, you know, 10 years of doing this thing and working bank teller office jobs and still making tours and gigs yeah. work and how, yeah, tough and 
exhausting it can all be, but like, yeah, you, you, there's no shame in doing other stuff that isn't. Yeah. And I think that's one of the impressions I had, like how I was like, okay, out of school, I need to be like working music jobs only music jobs yeah. only, and or it doesn't look successful or like feel that way or something. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And then you get, get older and your ideas around that hopefully evolve to something that like feels good for yourself. Doesn't Definitely. feel like it's that, like that sort of pressure Absolutely. for it to look a certain way. Right. Have you always felt pretty comfortable processing the world around you, like outwardly through song? Like when it came to you writing lyrics and fronting a band and being that person? Yeah. And, and different bands have, have served as different vessels, I think. Like the high school band was very much like just taking in all this music information and just regurgitating it and just being goofy. And then I think Spiller was like the first mode of like, oh, I'm going to like channel frustrations, whether they're interpersonal or like worldly things, I think. And then through the solo stuff, it's been like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to wear my heart on my sleeve for sure. If, you know, if the song calls for it, for yeah. sure, I'm, yeah. I'm going to try to lean into that more. to storytelling and I was I was curious if you feel like you can recognize a clear like I don't know something that's like had a big influence or impact on the way that you uh go about your storytelling through song like whether it's it's from other musicians or just like people around you yeah I think for, for a while there I was like hoping to like lean into more of that like abstract storytelling like kind of in like the bony Vare world of like just like symbols and like weird like <laughs> hushed voice techniques that like kind of obfuscate what you're saying a little bit but yeah. then got into like sort of more of like the pine grove world and like the evan stevens hall of like just say it plain spokenly you know and i, I think that's been a little more yeah. interesting to me and like just more clarity of of thought and like clarity of like the situation, you know, and like, yeah. and just, just saying the thing right there. Absolutely. I think there's like, there's beauty in poetry and like abstraction and like having to guess what it is and like having to do a Google search about it. Cause you don't understand it. And like, <laughs> yeah. Like Frank Ocean's blonde too is another great example of like, whoa, this is deep. And like, you have to like study this, like a, yeah. like a JSTOR text almost <laughs> like it's wild, but yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to say like, 
something self-deprecating. Like I'm, I'm not smart enough for that, but like, it just doesn't feel like a priority for me to like be this, like, I don't know, like mysterious presence. I think when people get to know me, like I, I don't know. I don't want that to be like what I put out to them, I guess. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's cool when you, um, you talk with somebody that writes songs and you can kind of clearly see how they're conversationally like transfers into their lyrics. Like mm -hmm. when you, you know, I, I got to interview MJ Lenderman. I don't know if you know who that is, yeah, but yeah. I, I've like so into his songwriting and I got to interview him at Pickathon. And when I talked to him, it just made so much sense, like why he delivers his lyrics the way he does, you know, yeah. because this is like, this is how he has a conversation. It kind of mm -hmm. goes to like that Pine Grove thing, which was like such a game changer to me. And I was just talking to Jordan Krinsky from how strange it is about, mm -hmm. about the Pine Grove thing and just how it's like the situational stuff that is mentioned that to me, like, I don't know, it can almost feel like insignificant or like, in con like like less consequential than like something like super poetic mm -hmm. but it like has such a huge impact like just mentioning this place or yeah like, i don't know like i i love you know like thinking about your music thinking about out to get me like, <laughs> you know like i feel like that has like some of that like lightheartedness in there when you're just like talking about your your friends putting thc in your coffee yeah you know, like <laughs> lines like that are like ones that really stick out mm -hmm. even though maybe it's not like that heavy of a thing totally yeah and like making a, a lighter thing out of um maybe a situation in the moment that feels like mortifying or panic attack inducing. Yeah. <laughs> turn it into a song. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And then on the flip side of that, I also love like maybe the, the heavy thoughts behind something like reckoning, mm -hmm. you know, where you're really diving into taking accountability for yeah. your like relationships and totally actions and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Both. Gotta have both, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it just feels like with with that you're hitting on like the full array of of human emotions, and that seems to like come through in the music to me. Definitely, yeah, yeah, it, and it's interesting. I think um, there's a good mix of that. I feel like on the newest um, release, like Mother of One, tackles a very hyper specific. Like that's probably the most specific I've gotten in like any yeah. storytelling or songwriting, and then on the flip like going to like back to the water where it's like oh this is just like evolution and <laughs> millions of years ago and let's condense it into the shortest song together like a collection of tunes like such as the the new one how do you feel like like what is it like for you trying to make all those things live together on like an ep even though you're expressing like very different things yeah i think with this one specifically it felt more like 
less like the lyrics and like less less of like a um concept album kind of way and and more just like let's sonically make the the, the songs live together and for me that was like okay we have three guitar tracks at the minimum right per song yeah you got your main track center and then your more um i guess like textural or fluttery ones like pan left pan right and double track the vocals do that like classic <laughs> bedroom kind of style delivery and then um maybe one or two harmonies on top of that and just yeah. that's the mo most bare bones probably i think a lot of what i've done in the past has been very like drums bass guitar like like rock band mm -hmm. forward with you know some singer songwriter peppered in but that was fun that was fun to kind of approach it that way this time around yeah what do you do you feel like there's uh it's like pretty clear to you which songs can kind of exist in this more raw stripped down form rather Definitely. than like the full band stuff absolutely and it's cool now to like in a live setting have the two vessels for that like have the guitar ensemble format for the softer stuff or even just a, a solo set and yeah. then um the full band stuff can yeah like out to get me or um something like uh yeah like like in that world of songs those can live with the rock band format. yeah how do those feel i don't know maybe different to you like as far as the actual expression yeah, I'm I'm still dialing the the right, I guess like venue. I, I think I've assembled some really awesome bills for like the guitar ensemble. I think that without a doubt has been like getting to play with bands like Canary Room or Swinging or um even that bill with like Isabeau was like, yeah, these are like fitting artists. Yeah. And I think sometimes like the venues themselves are the ones that I'm like, oh, I just want them to be like so much cozier and smaller like i want everyone to like sit on pillows and like just yeah especially with that guitar yeah. ensemble things it feels like everybody should just be like hanging yeah. out sitting down you know like i i love the elements of what you've done with the guitar ensemble of also just letting the other folks on stage you know share some songs of their own Absolutely. as well i think the mini like song right really around cool. is, the mini song right around has been a lot of fun too yeah, yeah. absolutely when you listen back to something like blue and green versus this, uh, this new set of tunes, the, my friend is here mm -hmm. collection. Does that feel like completely different expressions to you? Like Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I think blue and green is like the first step of like writing and recording in like in, in this new city and, and being in Portland. And I think just learning a lot of like, compromising and like like just who you're working with and like why that really matters like you know just like who you're in the studio with and like you know also like clearly defining the roles of like are you an engineer or your engineer and producer or like that one got very densely produced which I think was cool for those songs in that moment and I think I wanted to very much go into a very different direction for this new collection and, yeah um Honestly, like working with Matt uh, Larimer, who you got to interview yeah. a while back. Shout out, Matt. Matt's a very like just good and like safe person, you know, just just in his like personality yeah. and his where his heart's at. And I think um, he showed me that like, oh, like this is like the right kind of situation to be in and um, know what to look for in people when it comes to because like I would love to like get to a point where I'm recording stuff at home and having conviction in my own mixing and 
maybe mastering skills too. I think mastering, you know, debatable. I think for the folks that can master their own stuff, like shout out, like you got guts, <laughs> you got some guts and some audacity <laughs> to be doing that. <laughs> but I'm always going to want to like ship it off to someone that yeah. does that, you know, as yeah. their craft. And part of it's like, I, I love, you know, collaborating and I love that aspect, even within the solo work of like, I want to give my friends work and like <laughs> an opportunity to like do what they're good at, you know, whether it's like the recording and the mixing world and stuff. So I think it was an all-star crew for this round of songs. Um, just getting to work with Harlan, with Miguel. Yeah. When you, when you talk about like that, you know, desire to be able to do all the mixing and things like mm -hmm. that, does that feel more just like out of necessity to facilitate your own ideas so you don't need someone else there to do it? Or do you just like really enjoy that aspect of things like the work of, of producing and, and mixing? Ah, uh, I, I want to so bad and I'm trying, I'm trying to <laughs> cultivate that. Like I'm trying to learn to love that practice, but it's, it's hard. Cause I think for me that like the, the steam is really, really good for the songwriting and the arranging and like the demoing aspect of it all. But I think to make it a thorough, clear finished product, that's the thing that was like, some of that magic exists in the demo phase. Some of yeah. that initial yeah. like sauce is like right there at the beginning. And then sometimes it just gets a little lost along the way if it becomes too thought out or too yeah. produced. So have you found ways to not get into that overthought point? Like, do you have any practices in place for to, to keep yourself out of that zone or like things you can kind of recognize of like when you're getting into that zone? Yeah. Taking breaks, like trying not to be obsessive and like, um, it's hard because like sometimes you, you, you finish out even a demo and I'm like, ah, I, I want to bounce it right away, have it on my phone, listen to it obsessively yeah. in the yeah. car ride, you know, off yeah. the, off the files app or whatever it is, yeah. Google drive and, um, figure out how to keep refining it and, and all that stuff. But yeah, I think part of it's too, like the, the, the tools and the gear. And I, I think people can, I, I know that people like can make a lot out of like little gear. And I know that I don't need like insane tools to make that happen. But part of me is like, I feel like there is that limitation a little bit of like, yeah, a lot of choices to be made in that world yeah. of purchasing gear. And I, yeah. I already do that so much for guitar and <laughs> I would rather not have a whole other thing to thing. I yeah. Don't know. Have you found anything that's helpful as far as like harnessing maybe that initial energy that gets captured in a demo and, and translating that into like whatever that finished product is? Yeah. I mean, being able to like just play out all the parts right then and there is, is really nice. And just having like a keyboard that has the drum sounds and just being able to play it, being able to lay down bass and just having the most basic like interface set up is really helpful in that way. And were you always just like picking up other instruments along the way as far as per like perfecting your guitar playing or working on that craft? Was it always like, oh, I'm going to learn how to use this software or I'm going to like keep chipping away on the on the keys here or I see you playing playing drums and yeah. You know. Yeah. I, and I think, yeah, with, with drums particularly, it came out of like working at a music school and like getting assigned like these beginner drum students and then like getting one student that particularly was like 
very much intermediate and like we were like an equal playing field if not he had a little more chops and so <laughs> i had to like get better to like keep up yeah and so but then out of that i realized like oh i would love to be able to just record my own drum parts and yeah. have more conviction in them so it's a process i think i had my like second ever drum show last friday with them um, Katie Osik from Foam Boys mm -hmm. solo project, Katie and the Null sets. And I'm like, whoa, I have tendencies to rush and playing with other people with other different pockets and feels of time. It's like, yeah, drums is like almost too responsible. I think I'll, <laughs> yeah, bass, bass is as much responsibility as I, <laughs> I think I really want to have, but it's fun. It's, it's all very fun. You think it's all just like really helpful to the, to the writing canon too? When Absolutely. you like go back and write music, you have like, this lens of not just the the guitar player, but as the drummer and as that rhythm section. Totally. Yeah. You feel like it uh, leads to you starting songs, like maybe more like from a, a drum loop or like a, a drum beat that you have written opposed to just like ripping something on the guitar as oh. the skeleton. That'd be, that'd be a cool exercise in itself. That'd be something to try, but nothing that i've done yet no it always starts from the instrument first and yeah even just starting with lyrics or starting with the hummed melody that's still so new okay to me and something yeah. that i want to try more and like lean into so yeah are you often writing lyrics not to music like are you always kind of writing down those types of ideas or is that usually coming mm -hmm. while you're developing a song i would say that and then um I don't know. I, I journal a lot. I I'm, I'm a big proponent of like the whole artist way world of like just stream of conscious, like dump it all out, dump all the thoughts out and yeah. then kind of go back with the highlighter. Maybe if, if you had a good idea and then, cause I think through that, like it's, it's that like notion of quality comes within the quantity yeah. in, in a way. So I think just getting all the gunk out and then maybe by page two or three of said journal, like, a little nugget will, will kind of come about in there. So yeah, I'm trying to lean into like those kinds of practices for sure. And just having the very not precious part of it lead to the, whatever becomes the precious thing. Yeah. You also feel like that kind of like, kind of, I don't know, minds these things that are a little more authentic and not like overly thought out as, as far as like trying to be super poetic and, and kind of like captures some of that conversational nature of things definitely yeah i would say so when you were talking about taking a break and how helpful that can be mm -hmm. does it feel like how important has it been for you to have all these different artists that you're playing with in their projects and and serving those songs and stepping away from the stuff that you're creating more on your own yeah um september was really really great i i told each respective project that I was playing in that I was like, Hey, I need a deliberate like month off to focus on this like release and just to like kind of yeah, reset my brain and my body and the school year was starting to, and yeah, had to get ready for that whole side of things. And so, um, but it, it made me realize like, Oh, I don't want to just do this once a year. Like, I think I need this a little more periodically and I yeah. think I need to, yeah, be a little more intentional. I think with, the things I'm saying yes to. And I, I think, I, I mean, I don't have any regrets, of course, but I think kind of like what we were talking about earlier prior to recording this about the, the idea of burnout. And I think it's very important that to me that I don't 
get to like a crazy breaking point or like burnout within within something that I love yeah. a lot. It's strange that it can get there with something yeah. you love so much. Mm-hmm. You know? So I think it's it's good to ask those questions or like be I don't know, be willing to take those breaks, I think, or Absolutely. asking for that space. And like realistically too, you know, if you say you can't do something, especially in a city like Portland where there's so many like great musicians on all these different instruments, it's like for example, like like in Julia's band, if I'm like, hey, I really can't swing this gig, yo, we got Keenan and Miguel and we got yeah. rippers. It's who, a good roster to we cycle got through. A great rotating <laughs> cast, right? And I, I can count on a lot of these projects. Being able to figure it out. And if we haven't figured it out yet, I love like making charts for songs and I love being like a dispenser of information for whoever yeah. else has to fill those shoes next and stuff. So yeah. On the on the flip side of that, how important do you feel like those experiences of playing all in all these bands, these different bands, has been on impacting your own solo songwriting? Like in and having that space to really like play different instruments in different bands or or just like really hone in on your guitar skills and being able to like insert yourself into all these different projects, but knowing how to do that so seamlessly it seems <laughs> yeah you know funny enough it's like I, I come back to a lot of like like law law of least effort type thinking in the sense of like a band like golden boy where you know there's different iterations like i've seen ian rip solo i've seen like the quartet and then sometimes like for a doug fur type show there'll be like seven people yeah. on stage and there'll be two other chordal instruments like max on keys and keenan on slide or like you know like this big band and everyone is doing so much and so knowing when to step back practicing restraint yeah. a lot and just knowing the right amount to pepper in has been really important especially coming from you know the the, the jazz world and um, especially like, oh, the amount of keyboard and piano players that I just bump heads with and just want to <laughs> just want to like wrestle <laughs> about, you know, because I'm just like, God, <laughs> it's it can be like so much. Um, but that's where playing other instruments has been really fun is because I can learn the different roles that need to be occupied. Like like playing bass has taught me a lot of that restraint, too, and getting to play in a band like Bori, where it's like I'm just playing bass with a pick and singing harmonies and that is so much fun and like brendan just writes great songs and in that like power pop fuzzed out beatlesque kind of world and yeah so it's it's fun to have different vessels and 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 getting to be like a chameleon and take up different roles do you feel like it all like really helps you see what you want or what you can do with your own music as well when you have all of these experiences playing with different people, you're getting to see like the way that different people lead their bands and even on a communication level, not even just like creatively. I was just hoping to get into that too. You have the, um, the admin side of things and like the payout stuff and just, yeah, being able to like be a good communicator and like be clear and transparent about all the details and all the payout and all that stuff too. Like that's, that matters to me as a band leader. Like I, I find myself like <laughs> saying like, thank you. I feel like more than I have to, cause I'm just like, you want to play with me? Like, who am I to ask? Like I can get in, I can get into that headspace a lot. And so, um, 
I want to make sure that people feel taken care of and want to do it again. Yeah. That's, that's what it comes down to. Where do you feel like, uh, you learned when you talked about like restraint and knowing when to pull back in a set and knowing when to like really lean in, Mm -hmm. like, where do you feel like that really developed for you? Is that all like rooted in the jazz teachings and playing with so many people on that front or yeah, I, I can't pin it to an exact source, but I think, um, jazz musicians and songwriters and other musicians like alike, I, I think I've learned a lot just from, from observing and, and just having these conversations with, with people about, you know, what it means to serve a song and like how, how to go like, like knowing that you don't have to prove your virtuosity in every moment of a set. And I think when you're young and hungry, like there's this like sense of urgency to like do that and I, I <laughs> go think, to a jazz open mic and everybody wants to, uh, <laughs> yeah. just play as many notes as possible, even though that's mm-hmm. not necessarily the vibe. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's just all on growth. I think in terms of like a, like a source that I can think of though, um, effortless mastery is a really great book written by, oof, I can't remember his exact name, but, um, yeah, really good uh, book in terms of what it means to like show up to your instrument and 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 approach things that are hard also. And this notion that having less things to focus more energy on is better than having a million things to like just dabble in. Yeah. So that's a big philosophy in the book. And I think just showing up and getting in the mindset of like, oh, this thing isn't hard. It's just not easy yet. And kind of like re rewiring your thoughts a little bit and yeah what is what is uh i don't know what's been helpful or what is rewiring your your thoughts looked like it was kenny werner by the way kenny werner yeah 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 yeah. awesome i think for me that's singing singing is like my achilles heel within this whole thing like guitar or like writing the song itself that that feels more fun than actually showing up to the performance or the (laughs) you know singing and i think simple like body relaxation kind of stuff and like um warming up is huge too yeah i think i have a tendency to um sing sharp and like overexert especially when when i'm in my low range and so singing less forcefully and yeah again with that like law of least effort stuff yeah trying to lean into stuff like that for sure do you feel like that's also just it's just getting your reps in on it and and just doing it a lot and yeah muscle memory what works and do you feel like it's a, are you flexing much different muscle muscles? Like when you're playing a solo set versus when you're playing a full band set of your, your music and you have mm-hmm. like all these electric instruments to kind of compete with. Yeah, absolutely. And just how well you hear yourself in the monitor too. And yeah, exactly. When you think about the, my friend is here collection of tunes. Like, do you feel like there's like an overlying like theme or like, through lines to these, this collection of songs or like, why did you feel like these things could all live together? Yeah. I think it was like the, a, a combination of things like the fact that these songs are acoustic leaning. I think they display a different kind of technique that I've performed on guitar before too. Like it's very much like, let's take a simple chord and let's find a way to make it slightly more lush. I think yeah. that's, I, I feel like a lot of these songs kind of embody that. Um, the way they're layered um, and, and just like showing these songs to like uh, Spinach Smythe who I listened to the first time he's like oh yeah this just feels like Cabin in the Woods and 
just leaning into like sensations and colors and feelings and places and i think that's probably what makes them all fit together i would say yeah just even thinking about that that opening instrumental track mm-hmm. the d flat tender yeah. one yeah it's just such a such a beautiful song and also just uh i just appreciate kind of that that instrumental track to open up the collection of tunes to kind of like introduce you into yeah. the world. Do you feel like you can communicate just as much with an instrumental track as you can with a, a song with lyrics? I'd say so. Yeah, yeah. And especially within this collection. And it hasn't not been done before. Like I think there's a handful of instrumentals on my first album, Maintenance. And, and, and it's all about sequencing, I think, where you put them to. Yeah. Like the instrumental intro is, yeah, that's not something that's new. I did no. it on that album too, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's a fun vessel for sure. into everything mm-hmm. and I love that you uh, you know you include some of these tracks where you're singing in Spanish mm-hmm. or you know there's like a track where there's a mix of both mm-hmm. do you feel like those are like very different things like is it is it completely different writing a song in Spanish versus English like you have to think about your delivery a lot differently with those yeah, I, there's differences in the language that lend themselves to different, yeah, like like syllables, stress, or like the way the words operate. Like I think, what is it in English where it's like, mm-mm, like you have like this like stressed and then non-stressed, yeah. um, my name is Sam Mendoza. And then like in Spanish you have this, da, 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 like kind of like, I, I can't think of the jargon or the, the terminology to like describe it, but yeah, so... I don't think too, I didn't think too hard about that when, when writing those two specific songs, but, um, more of the, the story and just how they felt and sounded in the moment, I think. And yeah, it, it, it's funny. Like I, I got relatives on my dad's side that are like, write a song in Spanish, you know, and <laughs> comes a little bit from, from that and like wanting to, to throw the bone in that way. Yeah. But, um, just knowing that that has also been a part of my life for a long time is just like in academia and just like that half of my family and communicating to them in that way and feeling like, yeah, like it's just, it's just a half of me. It's, it's a part of me. Yeah. Just being raised in like a bilingual household too. Kind of. Yeah. Sort of. Uh, yeah. I mean, mostly, mostly English spoken at home, but I think like through communicating with my dad's side of the family and like traveling and speaking it in school and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. Do you feel like you can communicate something differently, like through song when you're singing in Spanish or just even, yeah, exploring that space or to say it, so. Like, and I like to try it more to see what it would yield. Like even like a full couple of other singles or like a small yeah. release that was just songs in Spanish. That could be fun. Yeah. I think I, I, I dig it just because it just like ends up really making your voice like another instrument as mm-hmm. like, 
someone that doesn't like understand Spanish fluently, you know? So I just kind of have to go at it that way, which is like why I just, yeah, I just love like international music. Yeah. In general, absolutely. because like it's, it's such a different thing. I'm not like, it's almost, it almost becomes instrumental music in some way because I'm not thinking about like what the vocal narrative is. Absolutely. Like I just have to go with like whatever the tone and the vibe is mm-hmm. in, in your voice with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like a lot of, um, I think a lot of like English speakers that like get really into like Brazilian music and bossa nova, like yeah. I think would gravitate towards it. Cause it just sounds so pretty. Like it's just a very like beautiful, and like soft, yeah, soft and newer, different syllables that maybe you don't see a lot in English. A lot of the, the je sounds. Are, yeah. yeah. It's fun. <laughs> You talked about Mother of One like being this uh, this song where you're just like really zeroing in on this uh, you know like particular like moment or yeah. you know like this big impactful time. What was it like expressing that through song and exploring that space? And you know like did that feel like uh, a raw, vulnerable experience that you hadn't really dove into through songwriting before? It's not the first time and it isn't the most harrowing thing I've like written about yeah. for sure, but definitely like I knew that I wanted that situation to become a song and I just didn't have the lyrics or even the musical template for it yet. But then I had this like guitar progression that I'd been sitting on for like a good half of a year and like a good, yeah, just a good couple months and the demo was done and I was like, just dragging my feet and getting distracted by other things. And then I was like, you know, I'm going to sit down with this. I'm going to finish this because I started finally setting goals and like deadlines for this project. And then, um, yeah, just got into it and one day just sat down, took, took two days to like really like journal and like recount what happened. And then put it into melody and like that was fun because I got a chance to like be very busy with the words and like just kind of sing it all out and then just be like okay what can I omit and I think that's my favorite part of lyric writing is like knowing what to take out because I think it can be very like ah, I want to say everything all at once but yeah. then you can still convey meaning without being hyper specific in your detail or your wording per se so so that was fun like getting to just like pick one word like like that I fell in love like and just like sit on that for like two whole measures like that was cool it's like to make choices like that and made it interesting for me was the one. 
Are you usually keeping lyrics pretty close to yourself in that writing process, or is it? Do you like to uh, consult with anybody in that in that process, or, or do you not like to share the lyric like lyric side of things until it's complete in your mind? Yeah, I'd say I'm like too quick to share. <laughs> like that initial demo excitement that I told you about. I'm like, yeah. damn, there's at least like three people I want to send this to like immediately. <laughs> yeah. And usually it's at least one audio engineer nut that I'm like, how's the mix? Like what would you be different? <laughs> and then like, yeah, maybe like two other buds that yeah. I'd be like, what do you think? Like right away or no, I love feedback and I've grown to love it more. What do you, what do you feel like you're looking for in that feedback? Like, is it like, do you want the constructive criticism or do you want to just know that there's a couple people to be like, this is it, dude. Like, this is fucking cool. Like a little bit of both. And not yeah. like necessarily to like pump your tires and saying that it's cool, but just to be like, yeah, you're on the right path with this mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. And I, ideally it's like, I, I, I do want that feedback, but then there, there are gut feelings that I get when I'm like, okay, I'm a little protective now. And I think <laughs> I, I do have conviction in this and I don't want the opinion to like taint it or, yeah make me second guess it. Cause sometimes there is just like a good strong conviction. And I think this, this has been a release and EP that I feel more direction and I feel more conviction than I have before. And, uh, I know that subject to change being an artist is like nebulous yeah. territory where, you know, that Bart Simpson meme where it's like, there's two moods as an artist. Like I'm the best, I'm the best. And then like tucked in bed, like I'm, <laughs> I am nothing. <laughs> and, um, yeah, you just got to take it all, take it all as it comes. As far as like having maybe the most conviction you've had in a, in a collection of tunes, do you feel like that's just, you're getting better and better about being able to take that vision in your head for a song and like clearly put it on a record. And it's like, just getting easier to, to do that. Definitely. And just hanging around more people that like know what they're doing in different capacities. Like just even the the house that I live at, like, you know, even though we're not making the same exact genres in our day to day, it's like, we're, we're still utilizing similar gear and we're still trying to, um, have a really cool, uh, product or, um, art <laughs> that we're, we're putting out, you know, and yeah, that's been, that's been exciting to learn more about that. And, um, kind of just like on, on some just pandemic stuff of like having not live shows be the focus of my life for the first time. And then just having to like hole up and okay, now I have to yeah, like sit yeah. down and actually think about this and be in the studio, but also like learn about a lot of this stuff myself too. Yeah. It's gotta be nice too. just, you know, having several other creative folks in your household yeah just like knowing that somebody's cooking something good in the in the other room has got to be like an an inspiring thing as well just like sitting in the living room and being like all right there's a crazy vinyl flip happening in Smythe's room right (laughs) now and then upstairs I hear like boom 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 like yucks on some bluegrass stuff making his dad weed shit yes (laughs) it's such a nutty yeah it's, it's funny, like finally, finally being here and I'm like, wow, you've 
been interviewing my my orbit, <laughs> my little <laughs> just yeah. every everybody that I I, I love deeply and um, absolutely. I feel like this is really funny. I feel like I'm like getting to know them better through your podcast. Oh, that's amazing. What you do. And it's funny. So. Cause I think, I feel like you have, um, maybe not even knowingly have like put me onto some of these people. Like I didn't know Matt Larimer's name until I asked you about lifeboat wild, you know, in cool. which I've, I've talked about numerous times <laughs> on this podcast. A fucking shout out. Incredible Thank song. You. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I can't, I, you know, I've not been quiet about that <laughs> <laughs> over these episodes, but yeah, you like put me on the mat, just even hearing that track. Like, yeah, I love kind of, you know, just finding out how, like how everything branches out from one another or just even, you know, um, I found out I didn't know that Justin was a part of Spiller. Yeah. And I found out kind of more about Justin through talking with Julia. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? And haven't had Justin on yet, but you know, we've, we've talked about, you know, linking up. So it's just kind of, it's cool to like find all those connections or just even you were talking about that roster, that rotating cast that plays with Julia. I've like, Mm -hmm. I've met so many people just through that group from either like seeing the band live or, you know, talking with her or just, yeah. Just a bunch of nuts and the way that everyone then diagrams into one another. (laughs) It's so silly. Yeah. So wild. No, I just, I, yeah. Like I said in the beginning of the conversation, I just, I just love this, that, that whole group of people Mm -hmm. that, that you connected with in Eugene, that is like made, made their, uh, you know, their home here in Portland is just like, I feel like everybody in that, in that circle of people is just making like such amazing music and yeah, very inspiring too, just to have, I feel like I've been through a wave or two being in Portland for like 10 years. I've, I've like mm-hmm. seen like different cycles of musicians and like, yeah. So yeah, it's cool to, to see that group kind of, yeah. Take over, not, not take over, but just occupy a, a great space in the scene. I Absolutely. feel like for sure. Yeah. When you were talking about having deadlines for yourself, mm-hmm. do you feel like that's like super important for you creatively almost to put some almost a way of like putting limitations on yourself to be like this song needs to be done by this date or I have recording time at this time so that means I have to like kind of get my shit together maybe more towards the the recording and mix like the those parts of the process yeah but the the writing and the collecting of songs in the first place like those are more drawn out and more just like periods of like I need to like like live life and just kind of do my thing and yeah. then see how the songs coalesce because I think yeah between teaching inside I, I get as much as I love it like I do get musicked out for sure between like being a music teacher and like playing in, in, in projects and stuff and so I need to find balance for sure by also just not working on music, but I think the days which, where, where there's more spaciousness, like I can commit to that more for sure. And I think I've been showing up to songwriting in the form of like speed writing, which has been very fun. And that's like, it's been a good practice because it takes away from that, um, preciousness. But even if it is a really weird and rough sketch and I still like it, I can always come back to it yeah. and reinsert new words or kind of like chip away at it as if it were like, 
a sculpture or something yeah. down the line. And so there is no like refined ritual or, and I, I wouldn't say I'm like, I have the greatest work ethic, but then again, that's just in comparison to those that I see and like others <laughs> and it'll come out eventually, you know, like the, yeah. The, the, yeah, the songs and all that surprising to you what you can get out of some of those quick rounds of songwriting sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. There's some good nuggets in there for sure. And I think that's fun because yeah, again with the the pandemic and the lack of live gigs, you know, turning that into like a, a Instagram live moment of like, this is audience participation too. So whoever's in the comment section can contribute lyrics or chords or, you know, that's really special too. And it makes it feel like no, this is our speed, right? This isn't just mine. And so yeah. getting very excited about that. So talk to me about the, the teaching element of your life. Like where does that, uh, I don't know. Is that, is that big fuel for the fire when you watch someone develop their, their skills? Cause obviously it's a balance just like all the other stuff, like you were talking about, mm -hmm. I'm sure you can get burnout on teaching Absolutely. regularly, but yeah where are the positive aspects of it for you? Yeah. I think knowing that similar to a lot of other aspects of the, the musical journey and the things I'm kind of active in right now, it's, it's just process. And it's just like, it, it's, it's a slow burn in a way in terms of like when a student gets to the end of a song and it's like, yeah, even, even getting to the finish line isn't the most satisfying part. I think it's just getting to like, talk to just really special humans and, and people and just get, getting to like, like ask them about their, their day and stuff and just stuff that isn't like the music itself. But, um, knowing that they, even if they've had a busy week or if they haven't had a ton of time to get to their instrument, I think it's still really cool to show up to it at all and be able to like, just be helpful with something that they're, they're a part of and like want to get better at. Like, yeah. I feel like I, I just have all this stuff that's just living in my head it's just like, all right, I have the opportune moment for this. And it's to help someone learn a song or um, improve on a technique. And yeah, there's some weeks where it is for sure a slog and I don't want to do it. But yeah. same with the, the gym or um, other rituals that you feel better after having done. I think yeah. it, it still feels like that for sure. For sure. But yeah, you, you don't want to be the person that is, yeah. uh, giving them a hard time necessarily for like not having enough space totally. to, to jump on their instrument throughout the week. You'd rather just be. Absolutely. I, it's the same way I show up as like a, a substitute teacher. I'm like, listen, the more I put any kind of authoritarian like energy into this, like the, the worse it is for me too, yeah. like the worse it feels. So I, yeah, I, I. I will have like some serious talk sometimes if it's like, okay, there's been a consistent theme of not practicing. Like, let's talk about if this commitment is even right for you or if like we can talk about doing this in a more bite-sized way. Cause I think yeah. people have the notion with practice that it has to be a half an hour for X amount of times, every time that you show up to it. And what's helped me with my own practice is just knowing that you just need to show up to it at all. Yeah. You know, five minutes, you can show up to it in bursts. And I think doing that more often is better than putting the pressure to have it be this big thing every time you show up to it. I think that's nice too, of just like you actually wanting to take the time of figuring out how to respond to when somebody isn't maybe totally. putting in the work and like actually having a conversation with them about like, well, what do you want to get out of this? Or like, 
what yeah. is the goal here? Or does this not feel like the right thing instead of just pressuring them into, yeah, like, you're fucking this up. You're never going to be good. No, hell no, no. I would never, never. Yeah. I, I know that I, I just shouldn't be a teacher if yeah. I was, if I you're was going to go all whiplash talking. on them. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think it's knowing that, that music serves different purposes for everyone. Like some people, like I, I have a student that like I knew when, when this person was in high school, I was like, once you're in college, like you should, you should just be like doing the band thing. And like they are now. And that's like really like the most satisfying thing to me is like our lessons now are just songwriting lessons. Like we just pull up to, to the zoom lesson. And I'm like, what are you working on? And yeah. they're like, Oh, it's kind of a busy week. I've been gigging. I'm like, you know what? Like you, you're gigging, you're, you're creating whether on the guitar or not, like I'm, I'm stoked. Like I'm yeah. stoked on that alone. And so, yeah, I, I really like the, the clientele that I have right now. I think they're, they're a bunch of, bunch of very special people and I'm glad they've, they've had their trust in me this long to also just see my growth as a teacher. And, you know, they've seen me do it. Some of them have seen me do it from like the start to when I yeah. started doing it in Eugene, it's only been like five years and yeah. learned so much from doing it. I would imagine. Yeah. You just have much more confidence in what you're doing. Like yeah. hopefully you've shaken some of the imposter syndrome of being the, yeah. the teacher. I'm sure, but I'm sure that also like creeps in Absolutely. from time to time. Absolutely. And you asked a great question earlier about like whether side manning in other bands helps, um, the, the, the fronting of bands. I would say being a music teacher helps even more so because I have to have clarity of thought and like conveying like songs clearly, especially over zoom. Like I'm literally just, I have templates right in, yeah. in PDF form, but I also just like, I'm sometimes drawing shit out on the spot on the whiteboard to convey a quick idea to a student because I just know that if I was to like Google a tab or something online, like I just have that nitpickiness to know that it's just going to be wrong and yeah. that I know the right way to do it right yeah. now. Even if it's going to take a little bit more time, like I'm just gonna, I want to be thorough in those things. And so yeah, we just have to be a little bit of a hard ass yeah. in that way. So. <laughs> but how, how do you feel like the teaching kind of like keeps you on your toes as a musician or like maybe even inspires you as a musician? Yeah, I think it, it's wild having taught some of these students for so long. I've seen some of them go from, gosh, like middle school to high school, high school to college. And so to see their music tastes expand and change and just know what they're into and listening to it. It keeps me tethered to like youth and like the things that like as a late twenties, something like the things that I would be out of touch in, like yeah. they're keeping me tethered to some of them have reminded me of music that I used to listen to in like late high school too. like a lot of that, like, like indie emo kind of stuff. I'm like, Whoa, this is getting me like restoked on yeah. this and this. I never really learned that thoroughly. Like let's learn it together kind of stuff. And yeah, so seeing other teachers like be really good at their thing and do their thing too, um, it is really helpful for me too. And yeah, like we were talking about Todd Marston manager mm -hmm. and seeing how he runs his class too, where it's like, it's not coming from this position of authority, which, um, you know, like, like the, I have the knowledge and I'm going to dispense it to you, but very much like this collaborative effort of like, I don't know everything. Like I am in the trenches with you. I have... <laughs> I have my own doubts about my own artistry and like yeah. my things in my life. I'm not like 
this, the end all be all for this thing. Yeah. Like we're just showing up and we're, we're maintaining this together and learning together. That's all we have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, mean, I think that's really special. And yeah. I think something I want to, yeah, I know that if I were to stop bringing that <laughs> to lessons, then I should stop. <laughs> yeah. Do you think learning how to play covers on your own is always doing something good for your songwriting when you can kind of like connect how other people have structured a song? Yeah, I love transcribing. And I think take, taking that idea of transcription and transcribing jazz solos from college, like uh, leads me to that thoroughness in like, like a, like a song by a band that I like or something where it's like, Oh, the guitar part in the, the learning, the, the, the songs, yeah. you know, just guitar and words is cool, but like, here's what the drummer's doing. And now that I've been like learning all these other instruments, it's like, yeah, seeing, seeing it, it zooms out on the macro of yep. it all. And that's, that's been exciting. I wish I was transcribing songs more. I, I, I wish I was like, that was part of my practice more often. Cause I really do enjoy learning songs thoroughly. It's very hard. It's very hard for me to remember lyrics. I need to like practice it like reps at the gym. I need to be like, oh, <laughs> like, yeah, I need to like make visual reminders for myself. I remember I was like learning the words for Norwegian wood to play at this, the John Craigie Beatles show at Mississippi studios. And I was just like, nope, nope. I kept like biffing it in all these weird <laughs> ways. And so I just had to like draw visual imagery of like what was happening in the song and create these checkpoints for myself. Oh, almost. Man. It's yeah. such a struggle. Chord progressions, like chilling I'm, I'm i'm mostly fine in that department and then when it comes to like memorizing words that's it's a weak muscle yo yeah i feel like there's no way that i could just like recite lyrics to a lot of songs to you without them actually being like playing in real time you know like when they're playing in real time and i'm listening to yes. them i can tell you like this is what's <laughs> gonna happen next but like <laughs> oh yeah to be doing that without the musical cue there's no way <laughs> absolutely and people that are like dope with that you know like whether you're from like the singer songwriter world or like the opera choir world and you're you can be encyclopedic in that way like that's amazing to me yeah that's really a cool skill <laughs> i would imagine with all the jazz teaching and like education that there's a big part of that is the, the improvising mm -hmm. element of it. Yeah. Do you feel like that's been really key in helping you be able to insert yourself into so many different groups, even if like improvisation is not a part of like what they do musically? Absolutely. Yeah. And it, even when there is a hyper specific part to nail, in a song from whatever band that I'm sitting in, I think it like improvisation gives the the cushion or the confidence that like, Oh, like you can make a mistake, but the bounce back, it's like, like skateboarding has taught me this too, that like learning how to bail is like more important <laughs> than actually sticking the trick and how you recover like safely from that. And so, yeah, it makes mistakes seem a little less scary. Yeah. Live bleeding into that improvisational kind of thinking. Yeah. So, I like the skateboarding analogy. Absolutely. <laughs> skateboarding inspires everything. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's the same deal. You see a six skate video and like, you don't see the B roll of like the 15 misses. Yeah. Before that, yeah. the 15 like bails. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, often with a great studio recording, you're not hearing the tens upon hundreds of takes it took to nail a certain thing. And yeah, so, for sure. 
Process over product is the mantra. <laughs> Actually, out, yeah. yeah. I love, I'm sorry. Shout out. To no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Shout out uh, Chip Miller, the, the director for Rent, who, which, which I played bass in last. Yeah. Once, once they said um, process over product, I was like, Whoa. that like was a core memory that like cemented in my mind. I started just saying it to myself often because it's like, yeah, that's, that's the truth of it. Yeah. Had you played in many things like that, that rent production I've done prior a couple to doing that. things in high school. And I did like one during college, um, yeah. but yeah, that was a fun, fun moment. But yeah. Anyway, does that feel like a completely different thing when you're, when you're doing a gig like that, or does it feel pretty similar to, to playing a live music gig on the stage? If I could sum it up in as few words as possible, it's touring but you're in the same hometown. <laughs> every, you're, you're playing the same venue, same city every night. Yeah. And that's a cool feeling. Cause you can feel like the set tighten up. Like, you know, you, you have your first like opening night and like the first couple shows and you're like, okay, we're ironing out our mistakes. And by like first week or two, you're like, yeah, we are tight. We're sounding great. And that same idea of like the improvisation where I was saying like, it helps with like the bounce backs and the mistakes. It's like, once you've done something so many nights in a row, yeah, you know, how to land it better each yeah. time. It's just so wild because you're you're uh I would imagine you're on all these different kinds of, of cues during the mm-hmm. production rather than like strapped into a band performance on on the stage where there's like this oh, set yeah. list. Like obviously there is a structure to this this production, but yeah. I would imagine that those things could like it could happen thirty seconds before or exactly. thirty seconds after because of something that happened mm-hmm. in real time. And that's, yeah. And, and, and another great new thing I learned from that particular experience was like, you know, just, just even seeing the words live theater. It's like, yeah, it's, it's live. It's, it's in motion. It's like you're following the script and the music and like the cues. And there's so many components at play is the thing is like, and human error and gear error is going to like play a factor into that and how you like work within that. And people getting sick leads lead roles getting sick and the understudies needing to come up and like take up the spot. That's going to create a whole different show, different pacing. Absolutely. (laughs) And that's what makes it hella fun and a good time. When you think back to those, uh, those early spiller days or just the, the early days of you hitting college and starting to lean into songwriting of your own to, this period in your life where do you feel like you see the most growth within yourself like just as a as a person or as a a musician or as a a solo songwriter or a teacher yeah no there there has been i think a lot of growth in um yeah i think there was such an emphasis on like the live musician and the live performer and i think it feels a little more balanced out now of like oh a little bit more of like the recording artist and like the session performer and the teacher like it feels a little more divvied out in my life the different facets of being a musician but i think also in in a personal way i I feel less like I, i think there was a time where it's like okay the band i'm in or like the 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 musical identity that i put out in the world like that's that is my, like there, there was more of a, uh, maybe unspoken feeling of like this, this is my worth and this is my vote mode of expression. It's like, yeah, that's just on like some ego and like just being young and 
late teens, early twenties, yeah. like just well, figuring it out yeah. and still having, yeah, just personhood and growth and that sort of stuff. And so I think for as much of it as is still in my life and as still as I'm doing, um, it feels less so like, like who, who I am fundamentally. I think it's like, no, this is just like one of the things that I do and it's maybe what people know me yeah. as, but there's more to it. Yeah. So learning to depersonalize it a little bit so that I can show up to it and, and enjoy it more in a new way. It's not like tying all of your self-worth to that kind of thing yeah. in, in some ways. Working on it. Another thing, process, not product. Yeah. It's like, there's days where it's like, I do feel really wrapped up and I feel that like artistic toil and like some perfectionism still lingering yeah but it's it's at least something to strive for yeah so yeah I, that all resonates a lot even talking to you what we were talking talking about off mic before we got going of just like we're talking about identity this is like yeah. i feel like often my identity can be wrapped up in like I'm the guy that does this podcast. Oh yeah. You know, and it's just like even thinking about not saying I am or not, or like am or not like going to continue doing this, but it's interesting when, when thinking about the flip side of like, Oh, what if I did stop doing this thing? You know, like mm -hmm. this is the thing that people know me for and like can be, yeah, it's quite the mind fuck. Absolutely. Pops, you know? <laughs> yeah. Who am I without all this like stripped back? Yeah. <laughs> am Maybe. I a person at all? <laughs> Maybe a person with less stress. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. I can't help but like, yeah, just be reminded that like life is just, yeah, this big long winded process of like learning to let go. Not, not to get too morbid, but like, yeah, I think, um, life is just going to reveal itself to you in, in new ways all the time. And I think you just have to be ready for that. And yeah, I, th I think it can only like create more spaciousness, even if it is a painful untangling yeah. in its own way. Sam, thank you so much for spending some time with me and yeah. jumping on the mics. Like I, yeah, it's been I, way fun. Thank I you. Love your songwriting. I love to show up to a show and know that, you're playing in the band that's on stage, whether I know you're going to be there or not. Sometimes it's a uh, surprise and I'm like, Oh, Sam's playing in this band tonight. Like, hell yeah. <laughs> you know? And sometimes it's a, it's a little more calculated or I don't know. It's just like, I know you're playing with this band. So I'm like excited about it for that reason. And it's been, yeah, just a pleasure to get to watch you play in so many different things, like outside of your, your own solo music that I've gotten to see you perform what, you know, whether it's like with Julia or like getting to see you rip some of these like recent junior bloomer sets or, you know, like playing with yuck, the garbage men. <laughs> <laughs> so many fun things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I appreciate it. And, um, yeah, just, just the web you built. I've been a fan of the podcast for a while and it's, it's great to have arrived. Yeah. Appreciate to be here. Appreciate you being a part of the thing. And, uh, yeah, it's just been nice to like get to know you through these like interactions uh, at venues and yeah, just nice to get to spend some one-on-one -on -one time with you for the, for the first time. So hell yeah. Thank thanks, you. Thanks for doing the thing. I will make sure that all the links are in the episode notes so people can keep up with all the music that 
you were putting out and I want to play the episode out with a track off that new, my friend is here EP. Um, I want to play it out with, we know great. What do you remember about this one coming together or like what you were, uh, experiencing when you were writing this one? Yeah. I remember, um, getting an Airbnb after having moved to Portland, kind of feeling still homesick for Eugene, getting an Airbnb and then sitting down to write that and kind of like reflect on like, yeah, like inner child kind of stuff. And, um, just like the things that I was like a, like nostalgic for, and maybe like also just like, not like shameful love, but like, Oh, these are like your, your, your weirdo components that like you still hold today and like how to like hold them a little more like gently for sure. Hell yeah. Yeah. We end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show, which is it's a program. So if we can get the Sam Mendoza, it's a program. We can, uh, we can properly sail this thing out. It's a program. You nailed it. Everybody It's Sam Mendoza, all the links will be in the episode notes and we're going to play it out with, we know off that, uh, my friend is here EP and that is the jelly jams. And we will catch you on the flip side, Portland or wherever you are listening from. Off the orange tree Determining if mild, medium, or harder Green turtleneck stifles The front lawn leaf pile photo shoot After learning what floods were been just a bit more of a troublemaker not so much life or death loving that kid all the same we know we know didn't know much then though we know we know 20 times more now so we know
have been just a bit more of a troublemaker. Not so much life or death. Loving that kid all the same, and we know, we know, didn't know much then though. We know, we know, twenty times. Hey, more just want to give a big shout out to Distro Kid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast and for their longtime support of this thing. Don't forget to find that discount link in the episode notes or in my Instagram bio. 30% off your first year membership with DistroKid, helping you get your music in all the places it needs to be. Stay up, stay tuned.